verses 1 through 11. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to see Jesus and believing in him. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Well, have you ever heard uh, the old Scottish fairy tale called The Girl and the Dead Man? Anybody ever heard that one? Uh, the way the story goes is that there was a woman who had three daughters who decided that it was time for them to set off and find their fortune. And the first daughter, as she was leaving, the mother gave her a choice. She said, as you're leaving... You can have either a large loaf of bread to take you with you on your journey and a curse, or a small loaf of bread and a blessing. And knowing that the journey was long and that it was, the, the weather was, was difficult, she decided that she needed the large loaf of bread and the curse. And so she took her loaf of bread and she headed out on the trip. And as she entered into the forest, there were these ravens. And they, they cried out to her and they said, give us some of your bread, we're hungry. But she held her bread tightly and she said, there's not enough. The road is long, the, the road is hard. And so she kept it to herself. And then when the night came, it was really cold outside. And she tried to find a place where she could sleep. But it was too cold and she tossed and turned and barely got a wink all night. And then the next morning as she continued down the road, she ran into this cottage with an old woman in it. And she asked her, do you have any work for me? Is there anything I can do to stay in, in your home? And she said, yes, actually, I have a job for you. In that shed over there is the dead body of my brother. And every night it wakes up. And I need you to stay there and guard him and make sure he doesn't run off. So she agreed. She went into the shed and she stayed there. But of course, as night came around, she was tired. She'd barely slept the day before, and she fell asleep. And the dead man woke up and run out, ran outside. And the old woman, when she saw it, she was angry. And she came in, and she killed the girl and threw her behind the shed. The second daughter, the next day, said, it's time for me to set out. And she made the same choice. She took the large loaf of bread and followed the exact same steps and ended up in a pile behind the shed. But finally, the third daughter said, I'm going to head out. But to her mother, she said, I'll take the small loaf of bread 
and the blessing. And she made it into the woods, and the ravens cried out, asking for bread. And she said, even though there isn't much, I think there's enough for all of us. And so she shared it with the ravens, and all their bellies were full. And as the night approached, and she needed a place to rest, the ravens came, and they wrapped their wings around her and kept her warm so she could sleep through the night. And the next day, she came to the cottage, and she took the job from the old lady. And as she sat in the shed watching this body as it started to stir she knocked him on the head and he fell down and the next day the woman was so grateful she said here's your reward I'm giving you this gold and a magic potion and so she took the potion and she went behind the house and she poured it on her sisters and they came back to life and they all went home wealthy with their fortune and they lived happily ever after Mike Cosper, he told that story in a book called Recapturing the Wonder because he was trying to illustrate a point about a way we view the world. The question is, is the world we're living in a world of abundance or is it a world of scarcity? Is the world that we're living in a world where what you see is what you get? Blessing. Or is this world... Like scripture says, a world where good and evil is at work behind the scenes. Where there is more to this world than our eyes can see. For Christians, this fairy tale makes us ask some uncomfortable questions. Do we live with a scarcity mindset? Where we need to grab up and hoard every mercy morsel because it is all up to us at the end of the day or do we live a life of abundance where there is a God who is good and and gracious a God who we can trust to provide for us do we live in a world of scarcity or do we live in a world of abundance that's the question this morning and I think we can answer that question by looking at this passage Specifically, if we just go through this and look at three things. First, I want us to look at the perspective of Mary. Then, I want us to see the judgment of Judas. And finally, I want us to see the freedom that comes from abundance. So let's talk about Mary, first of all. If you've been around the church, I'm sure you've heard this story before. But I want to remind you that Mary's actions are shocking in this story. It's hard to think of a really good comparison for our modern age. We're told in the text that uh, she did this in a moment of devotion. She did it in the midst of a meal that was held to honor Jesus and who he was. And she pours out this bottle of perfume. And the perfume's about 16 ounces or so, maybe a little bit less than that. And as she poured it out, she wiped his feet off with her hair. That was beyond extravagant. That was an astonishing moment. That was a a scandalous moment. The oil, it's worth more than a year's salary, but that doesn't even really get to it for us, right? Because I Googled it. (laughs) <laughs> the year, a median salary for this zip code is $92,000 a year, which, it's, that's pretty steep. That, but that also means that 
that we live in a pretty affluent place, right? Bethany was not like Mooresville. Maybe, maybe we, you know, there are a lot of generous, wealthy people around here. Maybe you've met someone who has given $90,000 to charity before. Maybe you've done that before. But it's more than the money. The, it's, that, the money's just a piece of what's happening here. This would have shocked the people in Bethany where poverty was in view every single day, but that's just a piece of it. Mary let down her hair to wipe off his feet. Not only a gesture of humility, but it, was, it would have been humiliating for most people to do that. Most women of the time would have never done anything like that. It was improper. It was shameful to do something like that. And before we get into that, how other people viewed it, before we think about the reaction, let's just take a moment and look at Mary. Let's think about her heart. Let's try to get a glimpse of the faith that led her to that moment. Obviously, she is not concerned about the price of the perfume. She's not worried about losing that perfume. And, and you know what else? She doesn't care what other people think. She doesn't give a rip about their opinion. Because she knows who Jesus is. And her heart is caught up in that. Her heart is caught up in honoring him for who he is. And folks, that kind of worship, it only comes when we see clearly. That kind of worship only comes when our eyes are opened to see the spiritual reality of this world. It's that kingdom perspective that Jesus talks about in Matthew 13. Remember where he says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and he bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. This moment reminds me of the self-forgetfulness that we see in King David. Do you remember that story when the, the ark is coming back to Jerusalem? And we read that David is dancing before the Lord with all of his might, and his wife sees him and she gets angry with him because she said, it's embarrassing the way that you're behaving in front of everyone. You look like a fool. And he responds by saying, I will become even more undignified than this. And I will be humiliated in my own eyes. What would make somebody do that? What would make somebody sell everything they own? Well, they found something that's worth more than everything they own. What would cause someone to lower themselves into this foolish display of devotion? Well, because... They found someone who was so noble, so honorable, so high and so holy that it was foolish to pretend like you were anywhere near his equal. It's worship. The chapter, just a couple chapters before this, John chapter 10, Jesus says, The thief 
comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that you would have life and you would have it abundantly. That abundance, that abundant life had become so real to Mary in this moment. It was more real to her than a bottle of perfume. She discovered that Jesus was a pearl of great price. And so she gladly gave everything she knew in exchange. In fact, she knew she could never possibly give enough to equal what he had already given to her. Right, we just read it last week. What did, what did Jesus just do? Jesus just brought her brother back from the dead. But not only that, in the middle of that miracle, he proclaimed, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will never die. What an amazing thing. Eternal life. Freedom from the power of death. The restoration of the broken world. And then in light of that, in light of that promise, a glass of oil seems like nothing. She lived in the reality of Christ's abundant life. And because of that, everything else was different. That is what a vision of Christ can do to your heart. It puts everything else in this world into perspective. It doesn't remove us from the world, but what it does is it changes the weight of the world. It puts everything else into the perspective of eternity. Mary's perspective in this moment was the perspective of that old hymn. You know, I'm going to mention another one. We just sang, Jesus is fairer, right? Jesus is is purer. Another hymn, it says, you can have all this world, but give me Jesus. You can have my wealth. You can have my reputation because they are nothing in comparison. You can have it. Give me Jesus. Now, let's compare her for just a moment to Judas. Verse 5, it says, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Okay, so here are some examples of phrases you may have heard before. I'm going I'm to say these are phrases anyone who has ever tried to do something radical for Jesus has heard these words in some form. That's too reckless. That's a bad idea. It's unrealistic. What are people going to think if you do that? Well, that's not how we do things around here. What if it fails? What what if something happens? Well, look, there's just not enough. Not enough money. There's not enough time. There's not enough people. There's not enough energy. There's not enough. What are those comments? What are those responses all about? Where does that come from? Well, that is what we call a theology of scarcity. 
That is a small Jesus theology. That is an orphan mentality. Remember that passage? Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. You remember that? He meant that. That's a promise. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. That is the message of the gospel, right? That we were strangers and aliens. We were the illegal immigrants. But now we are members of the household of God. We were enemies. But now we have a seat at the table with Jesus. We were orphans. But now you and I, we are sons and daughters of God. Now I'm going to just let you in to my life for a second here. Just let you know who it is that's up here preaching to you. Ever since tax day last April, which seems like it was a long time ago, but it seems like every couple of months now, our family is just getting a major bill one after the other. And this month was no different. Both of our cars needed expensive repairs. And whenever our bank account takes a hit like that, I get nervous. Anybody relate? No matter how bad things get, though, you know, I'll, I'll just, I'll get a little more honest. I get nervous. I start to worry. I start to fret. I start to play out the scenarios. What's going to happen if it goes to here? What's going to happen if this happens? What, what if this happens? But I'll tell you, no matter how bad it gets, no matter how much I start to threat, my worst case scenario is not homelessness. I know that I'm not going to end up on the street. My worst case scenario is that I'd have to humble myself and I'd have to go and I'd have to ask my parents for help. And I'm blessed because my parents love me. And, and I have zero doubt in my mind that if I ever had to do that, they would help me. And so I get anxious and I get worried, but I eventually remember I'm not an orphan. I won't be destitute. There's somebody who's going to provide for me. But that's just the worldly perspective, right? What does my theology tell me? What, what is my spiritual reality? Because it's a lot better than that. It's the, the reality that I have a heavenly father, right? That we just sang about, a good, good father. And he loves me infinitely. And he owns everything. And even if my real family, even if my earthly family were to abandon me, even if they were to disappear, my heavenly father owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he won't abandon me. In fact, he wrote it. He promised it. He sent it down to me. He said, I will not leave you orphans. That's the truth of our faith. But that orphan mentality is a plague. It clings to us. It's always creeping in. It is that unrelenting foot in the door of the enemy, that voice that always pops up in our lives in those moments of uncertainty. You know it, right? That voice, it says, it's all up to you. You're on your own. You better figure this out. You better get control of the situation. There's nobody who's going to help you but you. There's not enough to go around. You better watch out. Things are going to fall apart. That is the orphan mindset. 
And that's where Judas is coming from. That's where his judgment in this moment is coming from. You see, Judas's reality was a world of scarcity. And it's funny, right? Because he was with Jesus every day. In public, every single day. This is a man who presented to the world, I am someone who is with Jesus. We're tight. I follow him. I know him. But then behind the scenes, what was going on in his heart? His life, it told a very different story. He was a thief, John tells us. Why? Why was he a thief? Well, because he did not believe God could provide for him. He betrays Jesus in a couple of chapters by selling him to religious leaders. Why? Because he believed that his only way forward in this life was to fend for himself. He didn't see the worth of Jesus. He didn't believe his claims. He didn't expect God to come through. So instead of giving out of abundance, like Mary does in this passage, he was weighed down. He felt like he had to measure everything out. He had to be sure that there was always enough left over for him. Have you been there? Have you ever felt that way? I think we all have. Have you ever been in that place where you're just crushed by the weight of the world on your shoulders? Where you feel helpless? Where you feel overwhelmed? Where you feel afraid? Not too long ago, I was talking to a mentor of mine, and I was just expressing some of my own fears. Actually, they were fears about this church. You all, you hired me with the intention to come in and try and reach young families. And as I was talking to him, I was, I was just expressing all of my worries, all of my concerns. I was telling him about all of my plans and how I just needed them to work. And he said to me, he listened patiently, and then he said, Brother, I wish you could hear yourself. He said, you have such an orphan mentality. You sound like an orphan. You've got all these plans, all these actions, all these things you're trying to do, but what you really need to do is pray and wait and be still. Jesus can handle that. See, Judas was an orphan at heart. And we are too sometimes. But we don't have to be. See, if the resources are scarce, if we live in a world where there is only enough to go around, if Jesus is small, well then Judas was right. His view of this situation actually makes total sense. But if the storehouses are large, if the grace is abundant, if a few loaves can feed thousands, then our lives should seem crazy to the world. And that brings me to the third thing I want to talk about. The freedom 
of abundance. Okay. These verses are going to be on the screen, but I don't want you to look at them. Close your eyes and listen. Hear this story. Imagine it in your mind. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Keep your eyes closed. Just look at the scene. Look at this moment. What is it that God is telling us to expect? Is his salvation miserly? Is his salvation small? Is his salvation weak? Or is it overwhelming? Is it more than we can count? Is it abundantly more than all that we could possibly ask or imagine? Open your eyes. That's the promise of God. It's not an empty promise, right? We, we know since this book was written, we've already seen this promise begin to be fulfilled. Billions of people, not just dozens, hundreds, not just millions, but billions of people have already come into the kingdom. And Jesus, his response to Judas is just incredible. He says, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I, I love this because there is nothing arrogant about that response, but it is very honest. Jesus admits, he says, I am worth the price of this oil. He admits it right in that moment. He is the pearl of great price. He is the treasure in the fields. But then in the same breath, he starts to reveal that he is headed to the cross to die. In other words, whatever Mary has poured out to give him is nothing compared to what he's going to pour out for us. Her offering couldn't get anywhere close to the amount of honor that Jesus deserved. Because on the cross, he, he gave the world a gift none of us deserved. None of us could live up to. He gave us his righteousness. And he took away our sin. He gave us the right to be called sons and daughters of God. And he said we would never be treated as orphans, but he was treated in that moment as an orphan. That on the cross, he was cast out. He was abandoned. He was left alone to die so that you would never be. 
and now. We live in that reality. We live in the gift of that abundantly good reality. Do you know that? We know that this world is not a what you see is what you get kind of world. That there is a God, and he is out there, and he is fulfilling his promises, and he tells us, expect glory. Now look, I want to be clear, we're not a prosperity gospel church here. I'm not, this isn't about cash, right? This isn't about living your best life now. It's not about making tons of money. But I want you to see here that God is calling you to stop living like an orphan. He's calling us to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? He's calling us to expect great things and live bold lives for him. He's calling us to pour out the oil of our lives. To give him everything in that reckless, worshipful, unashamed joy. And we, here in this church, I, I want you to, to see this practically. Because we are at a crucial moment in the history of this town. Do you recognize that, that people who don't know Jesus are moving into this town every single day? Maybe some of you are here today in this room. I hope so. And I hope that today you're hearing the voice of this abundant Savior calling out to you because he tells us we should expect great things. Folks, the mission field is moving in all around us and we are told to believe he's going to work. And we don't need to wait for some special program or some church initiative. Already today, right now, in this moment, you have a God of abundance. And so that means right now, we can pour out our lives for the sake of the gospel. We can pour out our energy for the sake of his mission. We can pour out our prayers for the coming of his kingdom. And yes, we can even pour out our wealth for the proclamation of his good news, for mercy and justice to the poor. Because there is enough to go around. There's more than enough with our God. So let's not waste any more time thinking small. Let's not waste any more time counting the costs and, and fretting. But instead, let's go forth like we have a big Jesus. Amen? Let's be confident that he loves us. Let's believe that the gospel is good news that everybody needs. Let's start to live in that freedom. The freedom of an abundant God who we can believe that, that a blessing is worth more than a loaf of bread who believe that God is going to act, that he's going to do what he has promised, and we can be excited because we get to go along for the ride. Let's pray. Father, we are just amazed at how good the good news is. And I confess, Lord, that I am the chief of sinners up here, that I often live like an orphan that I, I fall back into those habits of, of fretting and fear. 
But God, I thank you that you've shown us the truth. That you have come and you have conquered sin and death and that we are following in your footsteps. That we are on the road to redemption with you. And I pray, God, that we would not leave others behind. But you would empower us, enable us, inspire us that we would go and bring in everyone as we walk down that road. Lord, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you. Anyone here who is looking for truth. Anyone here who has been burnt by the church and is feeling skeptical and afraid. I pray, God, that you'd meet them. Lord, I pray you'd use this congregation to love them. I pray, Father, that you would do great things, abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.